Hey, if you're a guest of ours, we're especially honored to have you with us today. I want to remind you there is an attended nursery right back by the uh, front doors, and you would have seen a whole bunch of smaller children headed off to uh, a Bible class for them. If you want to take your kids there and join them, uh, take advantage of that. It's good stuff going on back there. Glad you're in here, though, uh, for this morning. Um, someone sent me something a while back, and if I get it, you probably have seen it as well. But I wanted to share it with you as I set up my thoughts for this morning. And that is some signs that you might be too old to still be driving. And I put this meme up that I found that I really think is hilarious. This older woman is saying, all these deer on the highway. And her dog is saying, those are people, Margaret. And you're on the sidewalk. So I want to share with you some signs that maybe you're too old to still be driving. Here you go. If it takes you more than four minutes to get out of your car, you might be too old to still be driving. Um, if you pull into a parking spot and you just keep going till you hear a crunch, that's a bad sign. If it scares you to drive the speed limit, you don't need to be driving if you're afraid to drive the speed limit. If it scares other people for you to drive the speed limit, uh, that's a red flag. Um, if you ask the dealership to install magnifying glass for your front windshield, it's a bad sign as well. Um, if your turn signal has been blinking since 2003, you might want to think about hanging up the keys. And then finally, if your bumper sticker says, I like Ike, it's time. You know, driving is one of those things that we learn to do at a fairly young age, 15, 16. We learn to drive, and then we slowly get better and better and better and better until you reach a point, and there's a point in time where you are as good a driver as you are ever going to be. And it's different for all people. I don't get that. But there's a time when your reflexes are as sharp as they're ever going to be. Your eyesight's as good as it's ever going to get. And then you slowly start to get a little bit worse at driving. I mean, it just happens. It's natural. No, 100-year-old drivers aren't quite as good a driver as a 25-year-old. Now, there just comes a point where we start getting worse. And by the way, I think I'm on the back side of that bell curve. I think I'm getting worse and worse at driving. It used to drive me crazy that people couldn't park in a parking spot straight. There's two white lines. Park in the middle. How hard is it? Now I get out of the car with my kids and one of them will say, Hey, uh, Rain Man, you're a little bit crooked here. Uh, and my response is always, But I'm an excellent driver. But there are things that we get better at and then we start getting worse at doing those things. Again, it's natural. It's why, it's why professional athletes retire, right? Because they're not quite as good as they used to be. And then there's other areas in our life that we just keep getting better at. As long as we live, we're just getting better all the time. And I think that's true when it comes to our Christian life. There's things that we should be improving on as we're getting older as Christians. We ought to be getting more loving, more patient more forgiving, more humble, more prayerful. We ought to be falling deeper in love with God's Word and deeper in love with Jesus. We ought to be more comfortable and we ought to be a little bit better at sharing Jesus the older we get. We ought to just keep getting better and better at those things. 
Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to follow me. Jesus never said, accept me. You don't find that anywhere in Scripture. And yet, that's what a lot of people say, and that's where a lot of people stay. Hey, I accepted Jesus. I'm done. I, I have um, put a list of the things that I want to do in my life, and I'm going to do them in the name of Jesus, and I'm asking him to sign his name at the bottom of the page. And Jesus comes along and says, wait, I'm not asking you to accept me. I'm asking you to follow me. You sign your name at the bottom of the page, and I'll put a list of the things that I want you to do. That's how it goes. And so to follow Jesus means we have to go where he goes. We have to do the kinds of things that Jesus would do. We have to live and we have to love like Jesus lived and like Jesus loved. This morning I want to take a look at the story of a very unlikely follower of Jesus. A guy by the name of Matthew. He's also referred to as Levi in Scripture. Just to keep it straight, I'm going to call him Matthew the whole way through. Uh, I say he is an unlikely follower of Jesus because of his occupation. Matthew was a tax collector. I don't think that tax collectors have ever been popular people throughout history. Now, even today, the, the notion of taxes does not create kind of a warm, pleasant feeling in you, does it? I heard in 2018, the tax code has been changed. And the IRS is actually coming out with a simplified tax form for 2018. Only two line items. Line A, how much did you earn in 2018? Line B, send it to us. <laughs> Which would be funny if it weren't quite so true, right? But people have never gotten excited about paying taxes. And in Jesus' day, it was worse. Matthew was a tax collector in Galilee. And you all know pretty much how the system worked. The majority of tax collectors, including Matthew, were Israelites. They were Jewish. But they were hated by the rest of the Jews because they were seen as sellouts to Rome. It was assumed that tax collectors were corrupt. And that was a fair assumption. It was assumed that tax collectors were all dishonest. And again, pretty fair assumption. It was assumed that tax collectors were traitors to their own people. And for the most part, traitors to God as well. And again, that's pretty much what they were. History, both biblical and secular, tells us that tax collectors in the first century were pretty much untouchable. They couldn't go into the synagogue. They weren't allowed to give testimony in open court because they couldn't be trusted. No self-respecting Jew would have anything to do with a tax collector. He wouldn't talk to a tax collector. They wouldn't eat with a tax collector. They wouldn't, they wouldn't socialize in any way with a tax collector. No one was considered farther from God than tax collectors. That's why they're kind of lumped in with sinners, tax collectors and sinners. A, a good rabbi would never look at a tax collector. Israelites couldn't stand tax collectors. Ironically, Romans didn't like them either. Israelites didn't like them because they sold out to Rome. Rome didn't like them because they were Israelites. They were Jewish. So really the only people who were civil to tax collectors were other tax collectors. Now, Matthew, who we're talking about today, was sort of a low-level tax collector. He worked in what we would call a toll booth. 
At that time in history, uh, Galilee was, was overseen by Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was a very, um, he was a builder. He taxed the people every chance he could so he could have more money for his projects. Very ambitious guy. And it was Herod Antipas that began taxing roadways that Rome had built. Used to be Jews could travel down a road. Now Herod comes along and says, you got to start paying Rome for the right to travel down this road. And it was Matthew's job to sit at what we would call a toll booth and collect money from other Jews that were traveling down the road. They'd always use for free. So imagine the kind of reception Matthew got when he was collecting tolls at his toll booth. I mean, no one would look at Matthew and say, Hey, so good to see you this morning. How are the wife and kids? Keep the change. Have a great day. No one reacted that way to Matthew. No, the best he could hope for was to be ignored, I suppose. Another thing you need to know, some of you remember John the Baptist. John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod. Same guy, same Herod. Herod Antipas. That's, that's who's in charge of, uh, of Galilee at the time. That's Matthew's boss. Not only that, but we read a little bit later in, in the book of Luke. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Same Herod. Herod Antipas, Matthew's boss. That's the guy who's in charge at Galilee. So Matthew is working at a tax booth, as a tax collector. And then one day, Jesus shows up at his tax booth. But rather than ignore this much-hated tax collector, Jesus actually looks him in the eye. Jesus actually speaks to Matthew. Verse 27 of Luke 5. After this, he just... Healed a paralyzed man. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And I've always wondered, is that all Jesus said? I mean, did Jesus have that kind of charisma, that, that kind of power? <laughs> to say, follow me, and you know, there he goes. And I think he did, by the way. I don't know if Jesus said more to him or not. I don't know if Jesus said, hey, Matthew, I know all about you. I know the decisions you've made. I know that you think life is all about money and getting ahead, and you think this is actually worth it, and this is as good as your life is going to be, but I'm telling you, there's more, and I'm here to offer you much, much more. I don't know if Jesus said those things or not. We do know how Matthew responded. And Levi, again, it's Matthew, same guy, Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. So Matthew joins Jesus and his other followers. And I want you to think for a minute about the people who followed Jesus. Of the original twelve, Matthew is the only tax collector. Again, the Jews hated tax collectors. But nobody hated tax collectors quite as much as the zealots. The zealots were sort of a subset of Jewish people. They really hated Rome. I mean, all Jews hated Rome, but the zealots really hated Rome. We would think of a zealot almost as a terrorist. I mean, they would die before they did anything that would benefit Rome. Those are the zealots. Two of Jesus' apostles were named Simon. One was Simon Peter. We know a lot about him. 
The other was a man that we know of as Simon the Zealot. We don't know nearly as much about him other than he, in his previous life, was a zealot. Imagine the introduction that Jesus makes. Matthew, the tax collector, I want you to meet Simon the Zealot. We're on the same team now. In fact, you guys are going to kind of room together while we're traveling along. We can't get Republicans and Democrats in the same room without a fight breaking out. Imagine Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot being with Jesus and getting along. And yet, it started to become obvious that something's happening here. Jesus is establishing something. Jesus is starting something. This new community. He's introducing a community where everyone's welcome. Where nobody's perfect. And where anything's possible. Yeah, I got a tax collector over here. I got a zealot over here. You know what? In the kingdom, everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. Jesus was perfect, but, but nobody else is perfect. But in this new community, anything is possible. So Matthew meets Jesus, and he's just kind of blindsided by grace. You know, he'd made so many poor decisions, so many mistakes. Nobody would even speak to him. Now Jesus comes along and invites him into this brand new community. A place where he's accepted. A place to belong. Kind of a clean slate. A new start. Now he's got a new heart and a new purpose and something new to live for. No, no wonder he got up and followed Jesus. But, but, something keeps bothering Matthew. Something keeps gnawing at Matthew. Matthew remembers his old friends, those tax collectors. He knows that to everyone else, they are used by Rome and, and they're hated by Israel. But to Matthew, they're people. To Matthew, those are my friends. To Matthew, all of those tax collectors have a name and a face. They have families. They have a story. And Matthew knows, if I don't try and help these tax collector friends of mine, no one else is going to try to help them. Nobody's going to get these people to Jesus. So he thinks about it, and Matthew comes up with a great idea. I'll throw a party. Everybody loves a party. Uh, I'll invite uh, my tax collector friends, you know, the hated, despised, corrupt terrorist tax collectors, and I'll invite Jesus. Because if I can get those tax collectors together with Jesus, Jesus will take it from there. Take a look. Verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his home, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. And it kind of makes me wonder if Matthew floated this idea past the other apostles. I'm going to have a party. Jesus is coming. Y'all are invited too, but I'm inviting all my tax collector friends. What do you think? And can't you almost see Peter putting his arm around Matthew? Matthew, Matthew, buddy, I know you're new here. Okay, but listen, this isn't going to fly. You can't do this. It'll ruin Jesus' reputation. It'll ruin our reputation. You now, we're trying to get some traction with something here. You're going to ruin this ministry. Besides, I don't think Jesus will do it. 
But Matthew loves these tax collectors so much. And he's so passionate about Jesus, he can't stop himself. So he throws the party. The tax collectors are there. Jesus is there. And it really is hard for us to sort of imagine what's going on in in this party. Because, again, when you're talking about tax collectors, we're not talking about people who are poor or sick or handicapped, you know, people that you can sort of muster up some pity for. These are the guys, they're the cheats. They're the liars. They're the dishonest ones who have taken food off my family's table. They have cost me money. They're thieves. They've sided with Rome. They betrayed Israel. And there's Jesus sitting with them. He's talking to them. He's eating with them, which was a big deal. He's listening to their story. He's laughing with them. He's telling them about God. He's telling them about God's plan. He's just, he's just with them. And I wonder what Matthew thought about all of this. Don't you think that was a really emotional party for Matthew to attend? Matthew had to be thinking, my whole life, I thought making money was what it was all about. Getting ahead. Having more. I thought that was it. Boy, was I wrong. Because now I see all my old friends. And they're sharing a meal with Jesus. And I don't know that anything could be better than that. Now, I have brought together these people who so desperately need Jesus with the Jesus that I've decided to follow. This is it. This is as good as it gets. This is the best. Now, I want you to hit the pause button on the story for just a minute. We'll come back to it, but let's pause for a second. got a question for you. Do you know anyone who needs Jesus? Do you think of anyone in your realm of influence, you know, your family, anything that needs Jesus? And maybe the better question is, Who do you know that doesn't need Jesus? Who do you know that has it so together? I mean, this lady is so put together. This guy has it all going on. They fall into the they don't need Jesus category. Easy question, right? Because everybody needs Jesus, obviously. Now, let me get a little bit more personal. How many of you have one person in your life that you can think of Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a child, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, maybe just a really good friend at work. One person in your life that you could say, I'm concerned about their spiritual well-being. How many of you could think of one person you say, you know, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about their spiritual well-being. I'm concerned about their soul. And don't raise your hand because I, I think we all could think of someone that we say, you know what, I'm, I'm really concerned about them on a spiritual level. And let me tell you what you're hoping for. Concerning that person that you're concerned about, let me tell you what you're praying for. You are hoping and you're praying that somewhere there's a Matthew that's going to be so in love with that person and so passionate about Jesus that they're going to stay up at nights thinking, how can I get them together? How can I get that person that I love so much together with Jesus? Because everybody needs Jesus. Now, I'm going to get a little bit more personal in a minute, but let's get back to our story because it has a pretty predictable ending. Jesus is at this party. Matthew's there. The apostles are there. The tax collectors are there. And there's another group that's paying attention to what's going on at the party as well. 
the Pharisees and the religious teachers. They see what's going on. Matthew's really excited about the party. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're not so thrilled. Verse 29 of Luke 5. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? That's a really important question. Don't miss, don't miss what they're saying here. To these Pharisees, to the teachers of the law, to them, spiritual maturity meant getting as far away as they could from tax collectors and sinners. For them to be spiritually mature, they thought you have to kind of look down on, you have to distance yourselves from all those terrible, terrible tax collectors and sinners. Why do you associate with those people? They ask the disciples that, but it's Jesus who answers. Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they thought they were the the spiritually mature ones. They were the ones who put God first. But they weren't doing what Matthew was doing. They weren't throwing parties to get people together with Jesus. In fact, they didn't really know anybody that they thought needed Jesus. They didn't feel a burden to introduce Jesus to anybody. And here was the worst part. They didn't see that as a problem. They didn't see themselves as lacking anything spiritually. They thought they were incredibly close to God. They thought that they were the spiritually mature people. But the reality is, it's impossible to love Jesus and not love the people that Jesus loves. You can't say you love Jesus and not love the people that Jesus is seeking and searching for. Attending worship service, studying your Bible, memorizing scripture, giving offerings, important, needed, absolutely. But if you don't have a heart for the people that Jesus loves, if you're not passionate about getting people that you know who need Jesus together with Jesus, you're not as spiritually mature as you think you are. And I'm going to prove it to you in the form of a couple questions. Who is the most spiritually mature person who ever lived? Now you're at church, it's Sunday morning, this is, this is a softball. Go with the easy question, answer here, right? Who is the most spiritually mature person that ever lived? That would be Jesus. Very good. Who is the greatest magnet for sinners who ever lived? Again, go with the obvious. Jesus. Absolutely. Listen. Searching for those who were far from God wasn't something that Jesus did in addition to being spiritually mature. It was something that Jesus did because he was spiritually mature. If you are spiritually mature, you're going to be introducing people to Jesus. It's just as simple as that. And the other side of that coin is, if you are not introducing people to Jesus, if you're not talking about Jesus, if you're not bragging on Jesus, if you're not connecting people with the Jesus you follow, you still have some growing to do. It's as simple as that. Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, and Matthew immediately follows him, and then he starts to think, how can I get the people that I love connected now to Jesus? How do we get the people that we love 
connected to Jesus. Well, think about this. Have you noticed that people have a tendency to talk about what they're really passionate about? It's almost football season. Anybody here like talking about the Bucks? It just comes out, right? Yeah. College football? Sure. You talk to somebody who does gardening. The, the conversation kind of ends up being about gardening or, or, or cooking. You know, you meet a brand new grandparent. Out comes the phone. Let me show you some pictures. We know it's annoying. We can't help ourselves. It just comes out. I love towards the beginning of Acts chapter 5 when Peter and John were arrested for basically talking about Jesus. They're brought before the Sanhedrin. You know the story. Do you remember what their defense was? They told now you can't talk about Jesus anymore. Remember what their reply was? Sorry. Can't help it. We couldn't stop if we wanted to. We can't help but talk about what we've seen and heard. It just comes out. He changed our lives. And it's been going on for 2,000 years. Jesus has been changing lives for 2,000 years. People are introduced to Jesus and something happens. You know what happened at a tool booth for a guy named Matthew? It happened at a party for a whole bunch of tax collectors. It happened on a beach for a couple of fishermen as they're mending their nets one afternoon. And somewhere, at some point in time, it happened to you too, right? Somebody told you about Jesus. We didn't figure this out on our own. Somebody loved you enough and was passionate enough about Jesus to start having conversations with you about Jesus. Final question. Do you think Matthew ever lost his heart for tax collectors? Do you think Matthew, after spending some time with Jesus, said, you know what? I am never again going to even look at a tax collector. I can't believe I used to associate with those people. They're dishonest. They're, they have no integrity. Their language is bad. Oh boy, am I glad I don't have to have, ever have to see another tax collector as long as I live. I don't think so. I don't think Matthew ever lost his heart for tax collectors. Because Matthew knew better than anyone how desperately those people, those friends of his, how desperately they need Jesus. And I got a feeling that Matthew would always remember that party that he threw. And he would always remember Jesus saying, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. I don't think Matthew would ever forget Jesus saying, this is kind of why I came. These are the people that I came to seek and to save. This morning, you want to grow spiritually? You want to be more like Jesus? You want to be more mature in your Christian walk? Introduce people to Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Bring Jesus up in your conversations. Brag about Jesus. Now, keep asking yourself the question, how do I get the people that I love connected to the Jesus I follow? Well, how do you do that? You're smart. Throw a party. Invite someone to your house. Invite someone to dinner. Make a phone call. Write a note. Brag about what Jesus has done in your life. Just talk about Jesus. Be a follower of Jesus. And it's not as hard as you think it is. We make it so much harder than it has to be. 
Scripture says, if we do a little bit of planting and a little bit of watering, God will give the increase. Now, think about this as we wrap up. A farmer has a field where it's, it's laying fallow. Nothing is growing there. There's no crop being produced. It's just an empty field. What does he do to produce a crop? No use complaining about the empty field. And there's really no use praying about the empty field. Nothing's going to produce a crop until that farmer plants a seed. He's never going to get a crop until he plants a seed. Nothing's going to happen until he plants a seed. Now, I'm not in any way diminishing the power of prayer or the presence of the Holy Spirit. All I'm saying is, maybe you have been waiting for God to do something. God, why don't you do something? And all the while, God is waiting for you to do something. God's already promised, I'll give you an increase, but I want you to plant. And I want you to water, because everything starts with a seed. Relationships, business, marriage, church, following Jesus. Everything starts with a seed. And nothing happens until somebody plants the seed. Why does God want us to be involved in this? Why is He asking us to plant the seed? I think it shows faith. I think God wants us to to give something away so that we trust Him in faith. Plus, I think it brings glory to God. And i got to tell you, there's no greater feeling than to know that in some small way, God used you to, to bring someone to Jesus. Now, Matthew thought outside the box. He was determined that he was going to get people that he knew needed Jesus to Jesus. And I mentioned earlier that what you are hoping for, remember I asked the question, you know anybody that kind of needs Jesus, anybody that you're worried about their spiritual well-being, and what you're praying for is that a Matthew will show up in their lives. Somewhere, someone might be praying that you are Matthew. You might be the perfect person to talk about Jesus with an individual. You might be the answer to someone else's prayer. God, would you put somebody who loves this person that I love and someone who follows you, would you, would you put them in their life? And would you point them to Jesus? Maybe you're in someone's prayers today and you don't even know it. God gives the increase. Make no mistake. But this morning, if you'd like prayers just to have a little bit more faith to do a little bit more planning and a little bit more watering, be spiritually mature enough to to throw a party. If we can pray with you or for you about any of that, or really anything that's going on in your life, the church family would sure like to. Meet us here at the front. Let's stand and sing.